And one thing that I mentioned that I get kind of a kick out of that I grew up hearing is from my dad is that life is tough and then you die. Um, I know he's kidding as he said that, but really there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, especially for some people, life is just really, really difficult. And ultimately, the ending of everything uh, is, is death. And life isn't fair, which is also another fact of life. Um, have you ever found yourself questioning God? Why? You know, uh, you know why does so-and-so have money when I don't have, seem to have any money? Why does someone get to take these vacations when I can't seem to take a vacation? Why, does, why do some people just seem to have all the friends? Why are they the popular ones that everybody likes? Why does somebody else uh, understand math so much easier than I do? Why can they shoot a basketball so much better? Why do they have those kinds of talents when I just don't seem to feel like I possess anything? I admit, I've been there. I've done that. I have questioned God on a lot of different things about because I felt like it was not fair. Uh, my twin brother, he got A's all the time. He didn't have to try, but he did, and I killed myself to get a C. Why, God? That's not fair. Uh, why? Uh, my brother, he was fast. Uh, he, was, he was way more coordinated than I was when it came to sports. He didn't even like sports. Why, God, did you give that to him when I didn't get this? Uh, but then I also think about my brother, and I think, you know, why, God, did he get the health issues that he got? I'm completely healthy. He's completely, seems like, not healthy. It doesn't seem like it's fair. And I'm sure that uh, through your life you can think of your own situations where you feel like it is not fair. But that's the truth. The truth is life is not fair. And I wish I could tell you why life isn't fair, uh, why, why God doesn't make things exactly the same for you as it is for somebody else, but I don't know. I don't know that any more than why he gave me a little bit more height than my brother, why he gave you uh, blue eyes instead of brown eyes. I have no idea why God... Uh, ultimately makes things or allows things to be unfair. But I know that it happens. And the world doesn't like the fact that life isn't fair. You know, that's why when little kids play basketball or little kids, I remember when Noah was in t-ball, everybody got a trophy. Now, if you've ever seen a little kid play t-ball, everybody scores. You know, everybody gets up to bat. There's no winners, but everybody plays. Everybody gets a trophy. I've seen kids who, because they want to keep things fair, this, everybody passes the test. Because they want to keep it fair, kids graduate when they really don't deserve to graduate from this class into the next one. But people want to keep it fair. I admit, I want to do that too. When we did our youth group Minute to Win It night, I wanted to keep it fair so that everybody went home with a prize. Not everybody was going to go home with a prize, but I wanted to keep it fair so that everybody had a good time and everybody wanted to come back the next time we had youth group. And I asked the question during this week, and I got to an answer. I was asking a question about what is a situation in your life or a situation that you know of that it's unfair. And one of the responses that I got was that a couple, a couple of that is trying desperately to have a child when somebody else has had dozens of kids, not dozens, but they've had multiple kids and they've aborted them or they've abused them or they've neglected them. Why? It's not fair that this couple that would love this child to pieces cannot have one when this person or this couple doesn't even care about their kids, it's not fair. And so today we're going to look at a little bit about how life is unfair. Solomon has, he gives two different ways we're going to look at how life is unfair. And they probably pretty much encompass any situation you find yourself in where you say life is unfair. Uh, life is unfair because there is oppression. And life is unfair because there is inequality. Uh, but let's pray. And, and let's dive back into this. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for Solomon, how, 
transparent he was about how he felt, about what he went through. And God, may we, we be that transparent with you and, and, and recognize, uh, tell you what we're really thinking, what we really feel. God, we feel like life is unfair. We don't understand everything for why you allow one person to have one thing and someone else not to have something else, God. But ultimately, we know that you are good. Ultimately, we know that you give us more than we deserve. You give us salvation that we don't deserve. So I thank you for that. Please, God, just, uh, again, give me your words to say. Let this come through with your power and effectiveness. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon is talking about life is unfair. Uh, the first thing is because there is oppression. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Solomon, he's looking around. First he sees, he says, I see people getting what they do not deserve. These people do not deserve. I don't know how he knew all this, but back in that day, there was people who were taken advantage of, people who were on the the short end of the stick when it came to life being fair. I'm sure there's court systems where there would be a verdict that was given in favor of the guilty person. When everybody in the, the whole courtroom knows that this person is innocent and this person is guilty, the judge was happy to be bribed in order to let the innocent suffer and let the guilty go free. Or maybe it was a family member or somebody who says, you know what, you're my best friend or you're, you're on my side. I'm just going to give you the, the, the uh, verdict that says you're in the right while this person's in the wrong. So court systems. Solomon probably saw or knew of slave owners who mistreated their slaves. It was, it was bad enough to be a slave, and there's a balance, I think, if you're if in that culture, if you're going to have a slave, where you treat them fairly and where you show them a little bit of respect. But I'm sure he saw there was oppression. There was way out of balance. This was completely not fair for those people. Or maybe it was just like the, the slideshow with the balance. Unbalanced scales. Proverbs talks a lot about having an un balanced scale, and perhaps that's what Solomon saw. He walked through the city. He saw that people were taking, being taken advantage of. People were getting what they did not deserve. He watched this guy have an unequal balance for this person, and he had a different scale for this person because people were taken advantage of, because there is oppression, because life is not fair. Solomon also saw that people didn't get what they deserved. What does the, the, the judge get who is unfair, who gives the wrong verdict? What does he deserve? He deserves to, be, to lose his job. He deserves to get thrown into jail. He deserves some kind of punishment. But Solomon's watching. He says, this guy did not get what he deserved. The slave owner who has all the slaves, who's ruthless and completely terrible towards his slaves, gets away with it. Day after day, he just gets another slave, and life just keeps going on and on for him. Or the dishonest businessman. Uh, what would be fair for him was for somebody to knock him out. For somebody, a bigger company, to come and wipe him out. But he's watching. He says, this guy doesn't get what he deserves. Day after day, he sets up his little uh, shop. And day after day, he rips people off. And he just keeps collecting more and more money. And he's living the easy life. Now, what are the people who are being oppressed? What do they do to deserve that? Nothing. You know, probably nothing. Usually, it's a case of somebody who is meeker, somebody who is weaker, somebody who is more vulnerable 
being taken advantage of by somebody who's stronger, somebody who has the power. And even Solomon says the power was on the side of the oppressor. And the powerless really have nothing within their ability to do anything about it. All they can do is suffer the oppression that they have to go through. Does that sound fair? Does anybody want to go through that? No, obviously not. And he says, uh, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. All they can do is share the emotion. All they can do is try to survive this terrible, awful situation. It's a, it's a tough place for those people to be. Life is unfair. Back then, there was oppression. There was inequality. There, or there was a one side that's taking advantage of the other side. Well, today, uh, people don't get what they deserve, and people get what they don't deserve. But the people who get what they don't deserve, you know, you ever hear of somebody who gets uh, secondhand smoke, uh, secondhand cancer, or gets cancer from secondhand smoke, and they've never even put a cigarette to their lip? That doesn't seem real fair. Or the, the drunk driver that crosses the center line and takes out a whole family of people. Um, that doesn't seem fair. They're just innocent people who are uh, stuck with the consequences of somebody else's ac actions. Um, people get what they don't deserve. You think about a baby who had no choice to be born getting aborted. That is not fair. Uh, somebody getting what they don't deserve. Uh, Christians getting persecuted. There's nothing fair about that. They decide this is we don't like your belief, and so we're going to try to get rid of you. That's people getting what they don't deserve. It's a part of what Jesus said you're going to expect, but it's not fair. But on the flip side, people don't get what they deserve. The person who crosses the center line, who hits the family, takes out that whole family, sometimes walks away completely unharmed, unhurt altogether, and hardly gets any kind of sentence whatsoever for taking out that family. People get what they don't deserve. People don't always get what they deserve. Or the abortion doctor who's, who's done dozens and thousands of abortions, he's got his pocket full of cash. He sleeps good at night. He takes long, exotic vacations. Because life is fair? No, because life isn't fair. The, the, the persecutor who's, who's happily shooting people and, and getting rid of Christians, and he lives a long life. He dies of natural causes at the age of like 95. Because life is not fair. Life isn't unfair because of oppression or justice, but life is unfair because there is inequality. Uh, we're going to move on here. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And Solomon says, And I saw that all the labor and all the achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Solomon recognizes this attitude. It's not fair that that person has something, and so I'm going to try to get that for myself. Now, uh, Solomon apparently has, has gone through the city, or he's witnessed people from his balcony where he sees that they're working and striving hard to get something to try to kind of keep up with the Joneses. Back, that was something that they could have quoted back then. It's been, you know, 4,000 years old. This passed on from generation to generation of keeping up with somebody else. Perhaps that was Solomon's problem. You know, because Solomon, you're reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2 of having trees and of having servants and of having um, everything that his heart desired. Maybe that was Solomon. He said it's not fair for those people to have those things, and I want them too. And so that's what he is trying, possibly trying to do for himself. Because it's not fair that they have it and I don't. But Solomon, he does recognize uh, 
both ends of the spectrum. You have the person who says, I'm not going to try to do anything, the lazy person, or the person who's trying to do everything and have everything. And kind of the medium, the happy medium is being content with what you have. So the second thing, so it's not there's inequality in the possessions that I own. It's not fair that people have support when I don't, verses 7 through 12. It says, and I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon could be picturing this guy thinking, it's not fair that everybody else has support and I don't. And I don't know what's going on with this guy. Uh, because he's working by himself, he's working for himself. I don't know if he's, he's been, he was too busy to ever have a family. I don't know if he was too difficult to work with that nobody wanted to be on his side, but this guy is all by himself, and he's kind of questioning, what am I doing all this for? I have all this money, I'm getting it all for myself, I'm not enjoying any of it, and when I die, who am I going to leave it to? And Solomon starts to list, this is kind of the benefits of a support system. Verse 9, it says, um, on the wrong page here, verse 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. You know, there are some projects they just can't do by themselves. More people together means it's going to get done faster. It might be get done better because there's more. Uh, verse 10 says that if one falls down, his friend can help him up. You know, literally, if he's out there in a field and he falls down and he, there, he, can't, he can't help himself up if there's nobody there, he's just going to be stuck there on the ground unless somehow somebody comes along in order to help him. Verse 11 we can, uh, he's in a way saying, support each other. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You know, I've, I've heard of stories of people who, they're out in the cold and they, they huddle together in the sleeping bag. You know, or they, they get together because that joint body heat keeps those people alive. There's a, like a group of people who were up on a mountain and you have one guy that says, I'm not doing that. And guess who didn't survive? It's that person who says, I'm being all by myself. But the people who are willing to get in an awkward position, willing to accept help from each other, were, were able to survive because they had that joint body heat. But it also could be combined brain power, combined skills, because not everybody's going to find themselves in a position of needing to be up close to somebody in order to keep warm. But I could use your help in order to get a project done. You could use someone else's help in order to, to, to better understand uh, a, a hard concept. There's just unity that we... That uh, Solomon is saying this guy does not have because he's doing it all by himself. In verse 12 it says, you know, two or three can defend themselves a lot better than one. One person by himself fighting uh, against an, an attacker is going to have a hard time. But if you get two or three people, you're, he's saying these people are going to be able to defend themselves. They're going to be able to have a better chance of survival. And so we don't know. I don't know what this guy's situation is. I don't know if he says, I don't want people. I don't know if he says life is unfair. I can't even get a friend. Look at my neighbor has a wife and six kids, uh, but he's got people for support, and I don't have anybody. It's not fair. But it could be a position to hold. Uh, verses 13 through 16. 
It says, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within the kingdom. I saw that all who live and walk under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no one to the there was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. People were probably thinking, we can't wait to get rid of this guy. This old king, he used to do a good job. He's outworn his welcome. We need somebody else to take his place. And then you have this youth that wants to be this king. Everybody's on his side. Everybody's excited. They say, let's get this guy. Let's put him into office. Out with the old, in with the new, life is good. And then you find out, all of a sudden, after a little while, they say, we don't even like this guy. You know, it's, it's unfair that that guy, the king was there way too long, and so we're going to put somebody else there. But then it's kind of unfair to that guy because nobody wants to have this guy ruling. The people to collectively are not satisfied with, with anybody in leadership over them. You know, uh, it's easy for us, it's easy for me to fall into that it's not fair trap. Um, it's not fair for, for any number of reasons. Um, looking at these same things with the possessions to own. You know, here's one of those things, you pick your own poison. Um, every example that I can give is not going to encompass everybody, but I, I can look and say, you know what, it's not fair that somebody else got a new vehicle and that I didn't. And so some people say that's not fair, and so they're going to go out there and they're going to try to make it happen because they want a new vehicle just like somebody else. Uh, it might be a new electronic device. Uh, somebody else got a switch, uh, if you know what that is. I w it's not fair that they got one. I want one too. Someone else got a new computer. Someone else got an iPod. It's not fair that someone else got that, and so I'm going to work hard to have it too. Someone else got to take a vacation to Hawaii. I've never been there. That's not fair. Some people have gone there twice. How fair is that? I probably am never going to go, so don't worry about it. Uh, don't, don't save up the funds and give it to me. I, but some people say it's not fair someone else gets to go multiple times. And so they say, I'm going to do what it takes. I want to experience what everybody else has got to experience because it's not fair that I didn't get to do it. It's not fair that other people have a support system and I don't. You know, I, when I read this uh, about this guy who's saving up all his money and then he has... Has, he's just saving it for himself, and he has nothing. It makes me think of Scrooge uh, the, at the Christmas Carol, this guy who's spending his whole life just collecting all this, all this gold, and he's piling it up. And, and what's he doing it all for? To enjoy it? No, that guy lived like super, super frugal. He went to his cold house. He had his little candle in order to have his little light. He ate his cold porridge because he just had to save it all. And he had nobody. He had absolutely nothing. All he had was his gold. That when he dies, the whole town is excited. All this gold probably gets dispersed. It all goes to the poor, and he has absolutely nothing. Then you have Bob Cratchit, who's completely poor, but he's got like five kids, and he's got the exact opposite. He has no money, but he has all the support. Who do you think is going to be better off if there's a, a robber that comes? Well, first of all, everybody's going to want to come after Scrooge. No one's going to want to come after Bob Cratchit, but Scrooge is going to have nothing to defend himself with. Bob Cratchit's going to at least have his kids. He's going to have his wife. There's going to be strength in numbers. And there is a benefit to having a support system. There is a benefit to having a family. There's a uh, benefit to having a team of people on your side uh, to help you when you need it. You know, some projects you just can't do by yourself. At least I don't think so. Um, I've never tried to move cows by myself, but is that something that you do by yourself or is that something that you do collectively? 
with people, right? You do that with other people. Uh, moving furniture. Uh, I've tried to move furniture by myself, and there's certain things I can, and certain things you cannot do by yourself. Uh, building. You cannot build by yourself. You cannot play basketball by yourself. I mean, you might feel like you're playing basketball by yourself, but you need other people in order to do that. Uh, and it makes it that much easier. The job gets done quicker. Uh, it gets done sooner. You just, you don't get as tired if you're doing it uh, uh, together with other people. You, you, verse 11, you have support. Uh, you can support each other. You know, sometimes we get stuck in a tight spot. We need other people in order to survive. We need other people in order to get through the situation that we are in. Uh, verse 11 um, it talks about body heat. You know, I, chances are I'm never going to be with you on a mountain, snuggling with you in a sleeping bag to survive. And if it ever comes down to that, I'll probably be the guy who's sleeping by himself, freezing to death, you know, unless it happens to be my wife. Anyway, um, but it, uh, we can use our collective brain power. You know, we can use our collective muscle power. We can use our collective skills in order to accomplish things. You know, when we did youth group the minute to win it, uh, back in back in Davenport, I always relied heavily on Leslie for food, all that kind of stuff. I said, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I just it just is it's too much work. Well, when we did the minute to win it, she couldn't really do that. So I was like, Nicole, can you help me out? And we were able to team together to get good food at our minute to win it youth group party. But it's like we work together. We, we do things together. We don't re do everything on our own. We rely on each other in order to get things done. One person doing all, all on his own might be able to. He might be able to save himself all the money. But at some point, we need somebody else in order to help us, whether we fall down, whether we need help to get to, to do our, a project, or whether we're just in a sad, depressed state. We need somebody else in order to get us through the tough times that we're in. Um, sometimes we can agree that life is unfair with when we look and see who's in the position that they're in. It might be a head coach that we say, that guy is showing favoritism uh, and, or he has no skill whatsoever and putting people in and out at the, the right time, but that person has the job. That doesn't seem like it's fair. There's somebody else who's obviously more qualified who did not get the job. It might be your boss at a company um, that you say, you know what, this guy doesn't have the people skills, this guy doesn't have the ability to put the pieces together. He's, it's not fair that this guy has it. I'm sure there's six other people who could do the job. Or the person in office, the governor, or you say the president, or the vice president, or um, anybody who's in any kind of office whatsoever, you say that person isn't doing anything. That is so completely unfair. And it's easy to find ourselves getting dwelling on the fact that life isn't fair, that people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And, it, and we can become the people who don't do anything either because we say that life is unfair. And you might be thinking, Josh, you told me absolutely nothing. This whole time, you just told me life was unfair. It says it on the bulletin just as well as you said it. You know, I can read it there. Life is not fair. Tell me something I don't know. I don't know if I can tell you something that you don't know. Um, but what I, what I do want to do is go through and say, this is kind of what we can do when life is unfair. Because the good are still going to die young. You know, the... There, there are people who are still going to take advantage of other people. Uh, there's, there are going to be some of you and some people out there who are going to face more than their fair share of tough times in life. So as gently as I can, 
I want to give you some things that, a few thoughts to try to ponder. And I, I say gently because I know it's hard to hear some of these things, even though they're found in God's Word. And I say gently because if you were to turn around and tell me the exact same thing, I want it gentle too. You know, because if you're hurting, you feel like life is unfair, you don't need somebody cramming anything down your throat. So I don't want to try to cram anything down your throat. So the first thing is if, if you're in a position where there, you have oppression, where you have injustice, and you feel like I can't take it anymore because I don't like my boss, I don't like whoever is in leadership over me, you've got to remember that God has it all in, in his hands. God's, um, the, the pressure is not going to get away with it forever. Maybe on this earth, he'll get away with it forever. But God ultimately is going to take care of it. He's going to make the wrongs right. The bad guy is going to lose eventually. And if you're willing to have a good attitude and get through whatever God is allowing you to go through, God will bless you for getting through it. So remember um, that the oppressor might get away with it now, but is not going to get away with it forever. The second is thing is, is that God allowed it to be that way. Uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells us that God has a plan and a purpose for allowing us to go through what we go through. He's working it out for your good to make you like Jesus. Uh, this friend of mine I was talking to on uh, a couple nights ago on the phone, he's, he was an editor of the Davenport paper, and he had this surgery, and um, then he had to where he couldn't even move his arm. And this was just like a couple months ago, and then he could kind of get to where he could do this, but he, he couldn't go back and do his job. They're still working on trying to get his shoulders to work, and after about 20 years, he's done. He's, not, he's like 64 and he's, he's pastoring the small little church of retired people. And I feel like God's doing a great thing. But he, we were talking about how sometimes life doesn't feel fair. But he, he said something that I have to remember uh, about that verse, about God doing whatever it takes in my life to make me like Jesus. He said, bring it on, God. If this is what it takes to make me like you, then do whatever it is that you have to do. You know, I was like, that's a different attitude. Normally it's like, God's doing this to make me like Jesus. Oh, I hope this hurries up. You know, but he's saying, this is what God's doing. Okay, I'm going to be a good sport about this. I'm going to get through this because God's going to help me to do this. And there is a purpose for this. The pressure's not going to get away with it forever. God actually has a purpose and a plan to make me like Jesus through this. Another thing you could try to remember uh, is that your situation might be just a thorn in your flesh. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. This was Paul, the, the guy, the missionary guy who went all over sharing the gospel, went through trials and tribulations and persecutions more than any of us can ever think or imagine. He says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great, of great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through situations in life where they're pleading day after day, more than three times, pleading with God to make it right, to make life fair, and God has not done it. But you read what he goes on to say in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient to get me through the situation that I'm in, even if it's unfair. If I go to God for the grace, it's there. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. It doesn't mean it's not going to dwell well up in you. You're going to have to fight through and struggle through that. But his grace is sufficient for you to get through today. His mercies are new every day. His grace is new. He'll get you through it. Not, not easy. 
That, that, doesn't, that doesn't make your problem go away. You're still being picked on by your boss. You're still sitting on the bench. You're still asking God why. It's still there. But God's grace is sufficient to get you through it. I want to uh, encourage you, like I would encourage myself, uh, is to make sure that we also remember that other people are going through difficult times as well. You know, when we look at through verses 9 through 12, it talks about two are better than one. If one person falls down, someone else can help them up. Um, if we work together, we're going to get the job done quicker. If we stand together, we're going to be able to defend each other and, and, and stand together better. So I want to encourage you that you're, you go through unfair situations in life. I'm sure you know somebody else is going through an unfair or a tough situation in life as well. I want to encourage you to do something. I want you to encourage you. The back of your bulletin, it says, who in my life could use encouragement? And if you have a bulletin, write, write somebody's name down of someone in your life that you know that could use encouragement. And then it says, how could I encourage them this week? I know we all have intentions of doing things. And I don't know what you guys do with your bulletins. No one leaves them here, so that's a good. <laughs> but I don't know if they go home and go in the garbage. I don't know if you keep them or whatever. But try to make sure this week, if you can think of somebody in your life that could use encouragement, uh, try to encourage them. Um, send them a card in the mail or text or email. Call them on the phone. Uh, stop by and visit them or invite them over to visit. Or maybe you have some other way that you can do that. But write it down. And look at it sometime during the week. Hold yourself accountable. Did I do this? You know, I know it's a hard thing to do. I struggle with, um, I don't mind sending a card or I don't mind visiting. I like doing those kinds of things. It's just in my blood. But the thing that I always struggle with is I can't make your situation better. If you're, if you're going through a tough time, I can't make it go away. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Somebody has, has lost somebody. Somebody has uh, had a tragedy. I mean, somebody's just down. And you're like, as a human being, I think we want to go fix it. We want to go make it right. And sometimes you can't. And that person doesn't want you to. They know that you can't. But just the fact that you're reaching out to them shows them that you care. My brother, hi Ben, because he listens to these, he told me, you know what, with his situation that he's had with his, with his, his brain and the way he's dealt with life, he says he knows nobody can fix it. Um, but he says it's nice to know that somebody cares. When people call me, when they text me, when they uh, reach out in some sort of way, it just, it just makes people feel good, and it gets them through the day. God's mercies are new every day. Uh, God's grace is sufficient. But God uses us in order to encourage each other. So if you look around or you can think of somebody in your life that could use uh, encouragement, don't make them stand alone. A cord of two, a cord of three is not quickly broken. God can use you to help support them to get them through this. So first of all, that the oppressor is not going to get away with it. Um, God has allowed it for a specific reason. He's got a specific goal in mind. This might just be a thorn in your flesh, but God's grace is sufficient to get you through this. And think about other people who might be suffering. But also, I need to remember to keep God in his place and me in mind. Because when I start asking or telling God it's unfair, all of a sudden I have like 10 different ways that I can make it fair. And I can get mad at God because he's not doing what I want him to do. But I have to remember that God is God. He's got the whole picture in his mind. All I got is this moment that I'm living in. And I can look at the past and say, boy, I think I know what would make it better. But all I got is right now. God can see the whole picture. And I need to remember God is God. 
And I am just me. I'm just a person who walks on this earth that can only do what I can do because God's given me the ability to do it. I can breathe because God's given me the air to breathe. I can do nothing, but God can do everything. I need to keep God in his place and be in mine. I'm going to go back to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I need to fear God and so that I say, no, I'm not going to do those things that God doesn't want me to do because God is God and I'm not. And I'm going to say yes to doing what those things are that God wants me to do because God is God and I'm not. You know, I, I imagine, uh, you, I, I know you still have your hurts. I know you still have those moments in your life where you say this is unfair. And believe me, uh, as much as I, if I could, I would make it right. If I, could, if I could give you an understanding for what you're going through, I would. And I'm sure you guys feel that same way about each other. No one wants to see anybody else going through anything that's unfair, uh, that we feel like is, is not warranted, that we did not deserve. And if that's you, I'm really sorry that you're, you're going through those situations. I'm really sorry that you're facing those tough times that you think, if only God would do this, if only God would do that, and God isn't doing that. But, we have, but I want to encourage you to just keep trusting God. Um, you know, on page 65 of the little blue book, I just, it's just a, a, a little simple song that I want, to, I want us to sing. You can stay seated, but I want you to sing with me and just remember this uh, when, when you feel like life is unfair. And that's God is so good. Okay, we're just going to sing the verse first. And then we're going to pray, and then we'll close with Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, which I think about Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. We sing that every week. Every week we have a tie. We have a unity. We have something together, a common fellowship. Let's take advantage of that and make sure that we're supporting everybody that we can within our, our family of God. But I want to remember, too, that God is good even when things don't work out the way that I want.